Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Wheat Among the Tares, our live program here every Wednesday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, here from the studios of Gethsemane Global Radio in Lexington, South Carolina. It is certainly a, bless- a blessing and a pleasure to have you aboard here today. We're going to get right into our discussion this morning, and uh, one of our uh, beloved commentators, I want to use that this morning, Brother Carl Baker, welcome to Wheat Among the Tares this morning. Delighted to be back, Brother Blake. Brother, it's good to have you in the studio. We have had many, many a good conversation here with regard to church history, and those that are tuned in right now, and I can look uh, from Munich, Germany, from uh, St. Albert, Canada, from San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, all the way to Lexington, South Carolina. <laughs> I appreciate everybody being on board here this morning. We have had, as I mentioned, we have had some great conversations with regard to church history. And and I want to remind the folks uh, as we begin here that they can go back in the history of the uh, Wheat Among the Tares podcast on Sermon Audio and also other uh, on ggrradio.net. You can find the list of the podcast there. And go back and listen to some of these previous broadcasts. I believe they will really be a help to you when it comes to just understanding church history. We have certainly tapped uh, Brother Carl Baker's mind when it comes to, uh, Brother, just the history of itself. And uh, my opening comment here is I want people to understand as we do these series that this is just not for entertainment, but rather this is actual church history. Uh, These are things that have happened down through the years that has uh, affected either pro or con as far as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that from the standpoint of what the Apostle Paul wrote to us specifically, brother, um, there were some, there was great uh, effectual doors that were opened that Brother Carl people were saved. And at the same time, he warned us about men that would rise up, even of our own. Yes. And brother, they would draw away disciples. And that's kind of the crux of where we want to go this morning with regard to this. Um, Acts chapter 20. You and I were having a great conversation, even as we always do before we went on the air. Um, Brother, you were making a comment about different schisms that that have come about as a result of actual uh, revivalism and things that have gone on. But let's let's begin just with that point alone, how that when church history came and, and revivals came, also there was out of that schisms that arose. Give me your comment about that, first of all, and, and how and why those things occurred. Well, in our conversation about revival, there's two words that are associated with it, uh, Brother Blake, and that is revival and then revivalism. And people need to understand the difference between the two terms. Revival has to do with something that is a movement of the Spirit of God upon the souls and spirits of men uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached um, that stirs the heart and spirit in such a way that it brings people 
to a not only a knowledge of God, but a repentance within their own spirit and soul of the of who they are as the sinner and seeking God's promise through the gospel. That's revival. Or revival is also referred to as the true believer who may be um, uh, drifting away. I'm going to just use that, that term for word. a better term. That's right. But drift, drifting away and, uh, and, and needs to be stirred up by the Spirit of God. And, and revival is a reviving, just like it's spoken of in Ezra, where he talks about uh, that the Lord will revive us again. Yeah. And speaking about that revival. So he's talking about the revival of a spirit, of something that's already there and reviving. So it, uh, uh, like, like David stirred in himself whenever Ziglag was taken and everything else by saying, bring me the ephod uh, to, the, to the priest there. Uh, Avatar the priest bringing mm-hmm. bring me the and 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 he stirred himself up. Paul told Timothy to stir yourself up in the gift that is given to you by the laying of my hands. That's right. And such as that. So that's revival, but revivalism deals with methods, and that's where in in we're in the history of what we're where we are right now. That's right. From into the second awakening, you deal with revivalism because there became a great opposition. From the old school of revival that was taken had taken place in, in New England through the preaching of Whitfield and and Wesley and individuals like that and Tennant George Tennant and and the Tennants there um, and and true revival was taking place. Well, a revivalism through Finney in New York started something that that, that became a new approach. It was called the new methods. He called them that himself. That's right. And uh, and and I, I, let me just read you something. Uh, I think that will be of interest as far as what we're studying right now. And this is what this is what Finney wrote himself on his lecture. On uh, he said, "Look at the Methodists. Many of their ministers are unlearned in the common sense of the term. Many of them." taken right from the shop or farm, and yet they've gathered congregations and pushed their way in one souls everywhere. Wherever the Methodists have gone, their plain, pointed, and simple, but warm and animated mode of preaching has always gathered congregations. Few Presbyterian ministers have gathered such large assemblies or won so many souls. Now, are we to be told that we must pursue the same old formal mode of doing things amidst all these changes? As well might uh, the North River be rolled back as the world converted under such preaching. Those who adopt a different style of preaching as the Methodists have done will run away from us. We must have powerful preaching or the devil will have the people except that the Methodists, only the ones the Methodists can save. Many ministers are finding already that a Methodist preacher without the advantage of a liberal education will draw a congregation, draw a congregation around him, which Presbyterian minister with perhaps 10 times as much learning cannot equal because he is not the earnest manner of the other and does not pour out fire upon his hearers when he preaches. Um, That in itself is the nutshell of what really and truthfully becomes the differential point between the two methods, the old method and the new method. And the new method, if you'll notice, everything I read there, he left the doctrine, he left that behind, 
and picked up the emotional effects yes. of what preaching and notice he, he actually exalted the unlearned in the sense of this right here it wasn't like uh, the you know the Pharisees talking about the disciples of the Lord he they perceived they were unlearned and ignorant, ignorant men, men right. they've been with Jesus right uh, whenever they were talking about that as far let me tell you something if there was anybody that wasn't unlearned in the law it was those uh, apostles and disciples of Jesus Christ it had to do with the fact of this right here that they weren't accepting the authority uh, of the people them, of the leaders themselves but here is a is a completely different issue this is now dealing with methods to reach a congregation to get a crowd and and have crowds uh, be converted and you know what that's the thing that began to be in op in opposition and caused a, a a division because from new york didn't just become the revival of finney with the gospel also new york at the same time is the birthplace of joseph smith in the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints that we know as the Mormons. That's right. You understand? Yeah. Here comes here comes the Seventh-day Adventists. Here come here come the uh, the denominationals. Denominations start dividing themselves and everything else through these emotional so-called presentation of individualism and preachers using emotions to deal with people rather than the doctrine of the Scriptures themselves. Now, brother, and and. Uh, and that brings us to the point here uh, of basically, as you said, out of Finney's uh, preaching in New York, and then it went westward yes. um, from there, basically three points that I want folks to understand this morning. And if you've got a, if you're sitting and you can write something, I want you to write down these three points because Again, this this division, as Brother Carl just so aptly described, uh, is really where we're at even today Absolutely. in church history. And by the way, um, we make history every day. I mean, and I say that in the sense of the church is in existence today, and every day that goes through, maybe there's a missionary uh, in Cambodia or a missionary in uh, Burma. It's somebody that trusted Christ today, some event that they went through. That's all part of church history. It may not be recorded for our benefit, but it is still part of church history. Here's the three principal points I want you to get this morning. Number one, that Finney's deal, as far as as the way that things were introduced uh, in the 1830s and 40s, and that's the time period we're dealing with there, with the Second Great Awakening, as it's described. Number one, Finney began to criticize, Brother Carl, the old as being archaic. Number two, he promoted new ways to propagate the new the good news i'm talking about the gospel and foster the entrance of the kingdom we'll talk about that uh in in a little bit more detail here in just a few minutes and number three he used salesmanship tactics as a means of getting numbers to lend credibility to his methods i.e if i've got the numbers to back up what i'm saying then that's going to lend credibility because you can see I have the numbers associated with it. Finney, his theology was built upon a post-millennial 
belief in the second advent of Jesus Christ. He believed that what we were going to do was bring in the kingdom, have a thousand years of, of, uh, of the millennial so-called peace, time of peace, and then the Lord would return with an earth converted. And Finney, um, he, he, let me tell you something, he was so staunch on this thing about getting people involved in soul winning, so to speak, uh, by the means of these methods that he was going to use mortar benches and, uh, 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 you know, inquiry rooms, things like that and everything. But most of all, to have people make quick decisions about their conversion and start confessing their version on the basis of their emotional experience that they had at the meeting. And, the, and, you know, as far as the altars and everything else, altar calls and everything else. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing is that while Finney is doing this, at the, at the, uh, his post-millennial ideology, he makes a comment one time so strong as this right here, that if we can get the churches stirred up in revivalism, if we can get them to change their methods and their approach uh, to the gospel to the people, he said this right here that we'll be able to convert the world and the millennium. We'll bring the millennium in within three months. Uh, that shows you the, I mean, that shows you his, he, it shows you his, his misunderstanding of the, of actually the millennial coming of Jesus Christ affecting his methods of how to get decisions Exactly. I'm going to read the quote. Okay. Because, and again, you and I both read it, but he said, and Finney said this, said, no one pressed this expectation more than Finney, talking about exactly what you're talking about, the numbers, the quick decisions. He affirmed around the country words we have already quoted from his, and here's where it was quoted from, his book on lectures on revivals of religion. Yes. That if Christians would only give themselves to the task talking about soul winning, they could convert the world and bring on the millennium in three months. Right. Now, it shows two things here. Number one, um, that if you hasten the decision situation, which, Brother Carl, honestly, I think that has been – I was a product of that. I think a lot of people that have, quote, made decisions – but there was no repentance before God. There was no understanding of their sin before God. They've, they've prayed a prayer. They've announced their faith, but yet there's no change in their life. And I know that's another message in and of itself. But when Finney pushed these methods, it also brought to light, as you mentioned, his postmillennial pushing of the kingdom and to usher that in because you say if we've got greater numbers if we've got more people praying the prayer then we are certainly going to escort this whole kingdom situation into being it didn't happen it's not going to happen it's not (laughs) and because of the fact number one um that god has a time it's all on God's schedule, and it's not getting people to pray a prayer in order to facilitate that. Brother Carl, today, as we sit here, uh, there is that same spirit of the age, I'm going to use that word, that's been around since the 1830s and 40s that is still present with us today. Um 
what can be done with regard to, in your mind, and you've been preaching for 45 plus years now, what can be done to, and I don't want to use the word combat, but I will use the word combat because really this is a war if you think about it. Um, what can be done to combat the thinking of these quick decision situations and bringing in the quote kingdom as opposed to people literally understanding number one their sin before god and number two honestly in repentance toward god coming to trust him as their savior i know that that that's a big long question i know that is but um give us give us your thought on that and then we'll go to point number two well light expels darkness when this work of the of christ began it began with 11 men after the resurrection of course matthias was chosen to be the mm-hmm. 12th to take the place of judas iscariot <clears throat> but it began with those 12 men let's just put it that way mm-hmm. and from acts chapter 2 to the revelation you find the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts, uh, our pastor's taken us through the book, book of Acts now, verse by verse, and, uh, and great study. And, but um, in Acts, you find the Holy Spirit beginning his ministry in the disciples and with the disciples, and especially on the beginning at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work the signs and the wonders that have been promised that would follow them mm-hmm. by the filling of the Spirit of God. Let me tell you, the work of the Spirit of God works through truth. Yes, there's miraculous things that are done. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to tell you, uh, I believe in miracles just on the basis that I was saved myself. Amen. You understand? Yes. Every time somebody gets born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has, he, has, he has performed a miracle in somebody's life. He has. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Amen. There's just there, there's just no way to explain it except God working a miracle for somebody and saving them eternally Amen. and sealing them by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. But now on the subject of how do you how do you uh, expel so much well-seated error, and how do you expel that? Mm-hmm. I just let me just say what Paul said in Acts chapter twenty. He said. Uh, and his departure from uh, from Ephesus, as far as the elders of the church of Ephesus were called to him. And he says this right here. He, he, he says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons. I'm going to tell you what. There's a consistency that if we'll just be consistent in our faith and witness to Jesus Christ, the work of God will be done. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. I just know this right here, that truth overrides error in the hearts and souls of people by the example of those who have it in a reality who also preach and show it by word as well as deed. Well put. He said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. I don't tell you something. Personal fellowship 
and not being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's in your family, in your home, or in public. I'm going to tell you something will have an effect. Truth is the only thing I know to combat error. And that light will expel the darkness. Amen. He says, testifying both Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't compromise the gospel. I don't give a rip who comes up new. I don't care what new fella shows up on TV or whatever else. You just be an uncompromising Christian. You, let me tell you, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Who gave himself an offering for all to be testified and due time. And so let me tell you, just stick with the truth. And then he said this right. He says, stay committed. He says, none of the, he says, he says, the Holy Ghost and behold, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, knowing things that shall not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Spirit, witness in every city, Holy Ghost rather, witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. There were listen, more there were more unbelievers and pagans in Paul's day than there were believers. And yet, you know what he said? He said this right here. I'm going to stay committed to my calling and whatever God does with me and whether even winds up in persecution. I tell you, Brother Blake, this thing's come to a point now where I'm going to tell you what the true believers, if God doesn't intervene with something, I'm going to tell you this right here. We will face persecution we again will. in America. And we will. And he said this right here. He said, therefore, I take it record today. I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I've not shunned to show, declare unto you the, all the counsel of God. Stay true to your doctrine. We live in a contemporary age, and it's all changing now. People are looking for instant gratification. Therefore, you know, uh, they look for heaven, but they don't want, they're not looking for the forgiveness of their sins and the change of their life. And their and their lifestyle. That's right. They want to heaven, but they all they want is you give them a credit card to keep them out of hell. They're not looking for the forgiveness of sin. They're just looking for a home when when they get through living up their life of sin that they can make it to heaven anyway. But he said this to the ministers: Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. There's the, there's the outsiders. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember, by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night, uh, day, uh, night and day with tears. And now, brethren, watch what he says. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all them which are sanctified. I want to say this right here. Stay in that King James Bible and preach it. Amen. I, I, oh, I don't know any remedy but that, brother. Uh, amen. And be a Bible believer. Go to a Bible believing church. Invite folks to a Bible believing church and get a Bible believing pastor. And uh, and if you haven't got one, and everything else, just move to Lexington. <laughs> That's all I know. That's all I know. That is that is well put. And the point being that you said um, about men uh, inside yes. rising up to draw away That's disciples right. now. And again, we come back to that point of that is where uh, Finney's uh, called restoration movement. Yes. Um, it said he wanted to bring the kingdom in very quickly, 
but also he is his critical aspect of the old archaic uh as he as he termed it um it it really caused a division among people and it it segregated the lines between even men who i really believe were saved men but they latched on to finney's new methods and new divinity as it was called and as a result of that started to see quote uh the numbers that finney said would come if we will just employ these particular methods and get the decisions etc the greatest growth of denominationalism in the world began during this period of time between the 1820s and 1900s and even to even to now denomination listen look at all the churches that are started every week in every community i mean where there's division you understand then there's no there's no doctrinal stand uh, the contemporary movement is to throw away denominationalism and the doctrines and you know what and just fellowship with one another and 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 around methods <laughs> you know? for sure that is exactly right and and one of the things that that finney pointed out was to get rid of the doctrine rights and that was some of the other men that were employed with him and i say employed from the standpoint they they gravitated toward him yeah and and as a result of that um doctrines went away yes and uh and folks let me just say this and by the way we're talking about the split if we can use that word between uh the new methods of the 1830s and 40s following the second great awakening and how it's affected us today last point brother carl um because of the fact that the new methods um they were so pushed let me just i'm gonna quote them as saying number one uh that people that did not understand revivalism or the science of revivalism and that was quoted from finney Mm -hmm. he said it was a science involved with that and also that he said one of the uh, one of his uh, co-workers so to speak said um that these pastors that did not understand revivalism they used inept practices uh, they were unskilled in again in this science of revivalism and that honestly they said if you wanted revival you could have one if you wanted it right now brother just to say we're gonna have quote a revival i know we have meetings we just had one here recently i know pastor williamson had a earnest desire uh, for those things that were preached and uh, that it would speak to our hearts to make us a people that would yearn for the Lord even more, to uh, eliminate things out of our lives that we could be a holy people unto him. But those things just at the pop of a finger, uh, you know, a snap of a finger, they don't happen like that. And the science quote of revivalism and what these men promoted was nothing more than again getting quick decisions and showing again that this was credible because of the fact of the sheer numbers alone 
today we use the word metrics. Uh, and uh, but bottom line was, brother Carl, they were trying to push the revivalism using numbers. Let me say this in closing: Garner Spring, during this period of time, was from the old school, and he said this, and he summed it up in a, and I think in a, in a proper fashion. He said this. He said summing the matter up he said revivals are always spurious he said when they're got up by man's devices they're always a spurious thing unless they're brought down by the work of the spirit of god they'll never last and the fruits of them will always perish in the end and you know something that's true you can gin up Revival. That's right. You can gin it up, get you a band, get you, uh, uh, have you a rock concert before it and everything else, and then have a speaker there and, and, and have people planted in, in the congregation who will go and try to get people to move when they do to, so they can go down and pray a prayer. You can, I mean, you can have something that you call a revival and have thousands of people in the auditorium. Mm-hmm. That's a revival. Boy, it's, a, it's called a revival. Okay, you can have that. But you're turning people right back to the same vomit that they came out of in most cases. Okay? Or else you can have something that is truly fostered by prayer and spiritual concern and a change of life and a change, not only that, of a destiny of eternity. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yes. But it'll take the Holy Spirit of God to work that up for you. And I'll tell you, that's the difference. And it's based on truth. Absolutely. Based Always. on truth. I'll close with this verse. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's right. The deception that has come through what appears to be Christianity from the standpoint of the largeness of it, the numbers of it, uh, the professions of it. But as you said, Brother Carl, and Brother Gardner Spring said it very well, uh, the fruits of what you see come out of these spurious revivals never last. Those that have the Holy Ghost movement upon them and upon men's hearts in true repentance before God, mm-hmm. you see an everlasting change in their life. And uh, I, I cannot, I cannot uh, emphasize that point enough. I trust that what we have brought here this morning, Brother Carl, has not been just entertainment, mm-hmm. but it has been an absolute uh, searching of really where we are with regard to church history and that we as a people that know and and believe uh, and have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will pray that God will bring a true revival to his church. More people are going to a church, a church today, than ever before. The statistics are, according to what you know, Gallup says, no, 85% of the people in America have had emotional have had an emotional experience with Jesus Christ in church one time or another in their life and claim to be Christians. Okay. All right. Maybe they did. But I'm going to say this right here. If they, only 15% of that of which is in America is causing all the trouble 
that is going on with the concerning the fruits of the Spirit as written in our Bibles by true believers that manifest a walk in that Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. We're deceiving ourselves Absolutely. about what Christianity really is. Amen. We are. Thank you for joining us today. Brother Carl, thank you for being with us here on Wheat Among the Tears. It's been a pleasure to have you, my brother. And to once again tap the resources of history with within what you have learned through these brothers. It's been a blessing. And I want to thank you for joining us here this morning for Wheat Among the Tears. It's our pleasure to bring you these uh, programs every Wednesday morning here from Gethsemane Global Radio, and we trust that they have been a help and a blessing to you. Send us a comment if you would. You can go to ggrradio.net, go to our contact page, send us a comment, let us know what you thought about the program today. May the Lord bless you, and have a wonderful day in the Lord.